Greetings, Amber. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really, really a pleasure. I uh, I came across your work on uh, TikTok before I found my way uh, into your coven. Um, so I happy have to, to say, have you, by the way. <laughs> uh, happy to be there. Um, I'm really a big fan of your approach, of your style, of uh, the way that you sort of unmask that which needs to be addressed mm -hmm. in our uh, in our society in terms of all things erotic have sort of been underground for a really long time. And then at the same time, smashed in your face in like a really sanitized way. It's such a really bizarre dichotomy that we've created here in America in particular. Um, before we get too deep into anything, uh, why don't we just take a couple minutes and have you introduce yourself and maybe just give a you know, 30,000 foot flyover of what is alchemy? Mm -hmm. And then what uh, flavor of that do you teach and participate in? Mm, okay. I'll try to do that in pieces. And forgive me if I like forget some of the parts, you can kind of like rein me in again. But um, my name is Amber Eros. I work as a somatic sex coach and uh, a little bit about what that means, because that can spark all sorts of ideas in people's minds. Um, I'm basically in the business of supporting people to heal their relationship to sexuality and then giving them real practical tools to be able to be their own source for really radical, really expansive levels of pleasure. And then the third part, which is like really the part that I'm most passionate about is I teach people how to use pleasure as a tool and as a vehicle for doing some of their deepest personal healing work. Um, and that's a topic that I would really like to talk more about today because uh, it's kind of a new concept to a lot of people. I know it was a new concept to me for most of my life. Um, and then what was your other question? Alchemy. Yeah, so what a word, what a concept could be defined in a thousand ways. But the way that I play with it is just it's intentional transformation. Um and that can happen in a million big and small ways, but I identify as a sexual alchemist and I teach the art of sexual alchemy, which is intentionally using your sexual energy for your own personal healing, personal growth, and like rapidly transforming the physical terrain of your own life and what your life looks like. Uh, so we can dig deeper into that. I love that. I imagine that for the quote unquote average person, it's probably jarring to hear the idea that you could transform anything through pleasure or even necessarily energy, right? Depending on what part of the spiritual path you might be on. Mm -hmm. um, I personally started my own spiritual journey just a few years ago. And if you had come to me prior to that with any notion of kundalini or tantra or anything, I would have just laughed ignorantly in your face. Um, but my eyes have been ripped wide open, let's say, <laughs> through a, a, a variety of experiences of my own. So mm -hmm. I'm 
more than open to the idea that this stuff is real and to learning how to take um, more control of it for the benefit of myself and others. Before we dive into the actual topic of it, because I'm sure there's a ton that we're going to get to, how in the world did you come to become a sexual alchemist? Because that certainly doesn't happen by... You know, it wasn't in the plan. Definitely was not in the plan. <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs of New York, a very normal lifestyle. Uh, you know, it was not one of the career options that was mapped out for me. And I Guidance didn't, counselors didn't put that down on the form. They did not. They did not. Um, so, you know, a bit of a wild um sort of trick of life that this ended up being my destiny because, you know, for many years, I just felt completely lost because I had never heard of this. Um, but anyway, I'll talk in more concrete steps about like how I got here. Um, I was always fascinated with the realm of healing because from a young age, I was experiencing anxiety and depression and I was witnessing and absorbing, um, anxiety and depression from so many people in my life growing up. And so it was, it was in the air, it was in the water and, you know, coming from a long line of people with even more significant mental health, uh, challenges. And so by the time I got to college, I was like, okay, like we gotta figure out this healing thing. Like what's going on? What's, what's the nature of suffering? How can we work with suffering? What are the tools? Like I was ready and hungry. I had done traditional talk therapy, which had been beautiful, had really laid like a tremendous groundwork for me, but I was hungry to explore further. Um, and so I began studying like art therapy and music therapy and dance therapy, thinking like, okay, like maybe this is it. I went on to become a massage therapist and to explore massage therapy. I was like, okay, we're getting a little warmer here. I'm starting to like learn about energy. I'm starting to learn about like the, the realm of the somatic. Um, and then I found yoga um, at a time where I really, really needed it. I was really depressed, really lost, had really felt like I was completely disconnected from myself, from my purpose, didn't know who I was, what I liked. I'm sure many people can relate to finding themselves in that state. And uh, I had heard that yoga could help you heal some of your nervous system and help you work with your mental health. And I was desperate, so I was like, Let's do it. Um, I dove in and within like a month, I had like radically rewired my nervous system through doing that daily practice. And it was a huge awakening for me because I grew up in the suburbs. I had not been taught any of these tools of like being with my own body. I had lived most of my life completely in my head, thinking that mm -hmm. all my value was like up here. And yoga was a pathway of being like, oh, you, you have a body <laughs> and you can like leave your mind and your thinking mind and you can be with your sensations for a while. You can like slow down time and be with these like subtle moments of breath and movement and stillness. And you can learn how to like be with those 
instead of being up here and moving into the future and the past and back and forth and all this stuff. And it, it, it really saved me in some really significant ways. So I want to honor that like my path was not immediately to sex. Like I have so much reverence for the path of, um, of learning to go outside of the ego of learning to, um, be in stillness of learning to like detach from desire. I have a tremendous amount of reverence for that path as well because it healed me tremendously. Um, but there came a point where it was like, okay, like I've learned a lot from this way. And like, I think like my soul is hungry for some other form of reality. Um, mm -hmm. Cause I could have hung out in that like really kind of soft, blissful state for a while. Um, but that's when I started to learn about sacred sexuality. It kind of like plopped into my lap. I came across a teacher named Layla Martin, who would go on to be my, my primary mentor and teach me so much of what I know about sacred sexuality. And, uh, I did not come to the field of sexuality because I was passionate about sex. It's quite the opposite. I felt very sexually numb. I felt mm -hmm. very, um, you know, to the point of like disassociating during intimacy where I was like, I'm doing this, but I'm not really inside of it. I'm like having so many worries, so many anxieties. I'm feeling very, I had just not found my way through it. And I knew that there was something to learn here. So that's why I initially dove into it because I was really struggling. And what I didn't realize was that like, I could not only learn to enjoy pleasure, but that like the pathway to learning to enjoy pleasure. And like, I'll just loop this around to what I do now. I am not in the field of sex because I'm particularly passionate about sex. I work as a sex coach because sex is, as you said earlier, the most shamed, suppressed, hidden aspect of our reality, arguably. You could maybe say death is even more than that, but, but sex is pretty shamed. It's pretty hidden. So when you learn to work with that aspect of reality, it is a immense treasure trove of healing um, because it's like, it's the core of shame. And, if and I can, imagine that if yeah. you're trying to, just by placing it in the crosshairs of your attention, mm. and I'm actually speaking from personal experience, anytime you take anything and put it in the crosshairs of your attention, and try and make it a focus that you're trying to be completely present with and embody and just fully energize, you will be presented with all of your blocks, mm -hmm. right? It's like the gift of all your traumas show up in layers of veils between you and that presence. And it's almost like it gives you a gift of like an itemized list of here's all the shit you need to work on before you can get to that place you want to actually be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of blew my mind when I experienced that for myself. I was like, wow, 
wow, you know, I had an idea of what it would look like to thrive sexually. You know, Cosmo magazine had taught me that it, it would just looked like tips and tricks and like buying lingerie and like getting your sexy back. No, <laughs> I had to work on my wounds around worthiness. I had to work around my wounds around being seen of being authentically myself of being like really intimate with another person in a vulnerable way. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to work through my shame and learn to step into like a level of personal self-love and self-power that I had never known before. Like that's the pathway to sexually thriving. Um, and then you can get into like the tips and tricks and all that fun stuff. But like, this is deep stuff. Like we don't feel sexually numb because we don't know how to give a good blowjob. Like we feel sexually numb because there's layers and layers of toxic and painful conditioning on top of sex. Right. Yeah. Otherwise the rest of it's ornamental. Mm. Yeah. When you were younger, you mentioned that you went through a roller coaster of spiritual endeavors you know, I think like many of us seeking something, mm-hmm. being restless and knowing that like, well, I guess it kind of divides into two paths. One is people who are born into this life, maybe farther along a path and it's more of a curiosity and a calling. And then others, like, it sounds like you and I, where it's more like, if I don't fix something, this is going to fucking implode like a neutron star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you try a bunch of things until you find stuff that works. When you were going through that, like, what was your background spiritually, religiously growing up? Was that a part of your household? Uh, I was raised in a household without religion, which I'm grateful to, to a certain extent. (laughs) Um, But it did leave sort of a a blank slate, um, which was in some ways very helpful. And so I was kind of my parents were very open to me finding my own sense of spirituality, but they didn't necessarily give me any tools to do so. Um, and so early on, like very early in my childhood, I was spending a lot of time alone in nature. And so that was, um, I can reflect now and understand that that was like, that was the spiritual realm for me. And that was my connection to the divine as a child, just spending a lot of time in nature, um, literally talking to like forces unseen in the form of fairies and things like this, but um, talking to trees and things like that. Um, But then once I got to adolescence and sort of outgrew that childish wonder of like talking to fairies and just kind of buried that as fantasy, that's when depression like really hit me like a wrecking ball. Um, and I didn't know why at the time, but upon reflection from this point in my life, I can see like my connection to the divine had been severed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I was like, Oh, I'm alone now. And like, Oh, what it means to be an adult is to just like feel no magic have no connection to magic, have no connection to wonder. This is what it means to be an adult. So it all must be fake. Uh, Scary and sterile. Very scary and very sterile. And I am so grateful that I have found my way back to magic 
and that it is more real and more vast and more tangible now than it even was when I was a child. I'm so, so grateful. When you were um, embarking on some of these new things like massage and yoga and things like that, and even maybe some of the other things pr prior to that, what was the reaction to the folks around you, your mm -hmm. friends and family? What did they think of my, of my exploration? Yeah. Were you, were you surrounded by people who were very supportive and <clears throat> excuse me, like all in with you or was it more like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> Cause I've gotten a mix of both. Yeah. It was a mixture of both. Um, bless my parents. They were very, very supportive and that they have walked their own path of having to figure things out for themselves. Um, so they were supported, but there, there was definitely this tone and whether it was created by the people around me or whether it was very internalized, I felt so much tremendous shame for feeling like I hadn't found my calling for so many years or like hadn't found my way to mental stability for so many years and that I was in the role of the seeker. Um, I felt a lot of shame around that archetype, uh, because I had been painted this picture that like, by the time you're 22, like you should have <laughs> this straight path and you should be like functioning very highly and a productive member of society. And, and so I held a lot of shame around that and just embarrassment of being like, yeah, like I left that job and like, I'm going to have to figure out a different one now because it didn't feel right for me. And, um, you know, little did I know that like my path was just destined to be much stranger <laughs> and it kept getting stranger and stranger and stranger. And really, um, the challenge came when I did realize that it was sexuality because, mm. you know, working in the field of alternative therapies or massage or even becoming a yoga teacher, like still pretty socially acceptable when mm. I awoke when I really gained like that self intimacy with self. And when I was able to get really quiet and realize that it was going to be the field of sexuality, the waves of terror that came over me, so fearful of rejection, so fearful mm -hmm. of being misunderstood. It took me a long time to like come out to the people in my life of like, yeah, like I'm working with sex. Um, do you still love me? Like there was a lot of fear yeah. there. I kept it hidden for a while and just like studied in secrecy. <laughs> it can also, there's a lot of fear around um, offending people or triggering people. So I really had to journey through the shadow of the way that sex can be perceived by others until I finally was able to come to this place of like, I can be here and I can be loved. And I can know that like, this is a profound service to people and whether others understand that or not, um, you know, it, it really speaks to the volume of trauma that as a collective, we have around sex, that the thing that simultaneously literally carries the species forward, <laughs> literally, and provides, as far as I can tell, the absolute zenith of pleasure available on earth 
to take that and somehow create this aura of disgust or shame or fear or just whatever the negative things are. I mean, it's, it's really radical if you think about it to have gotten to that place. And I wonder if, because it is in fact so powerful, if that's the reason why it happened, because if you're trying to control a large body of people and they have something available to them that is so healing, that is so freeing, that is so, you know, manifesting, if you choose to, to use it in that way, boy, wouldn't it be useful if that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist when it comes to like large bodies of people, um, collaborating to do nefarious things. Cause I think it's, it's very difficult to do that, but especially when it comes to religion, I think that just over time, over centuries, they found ways of suppressing that, which was, um, divine, let's say. Yeah, I completely agree. This is a topic I'm very, very passionate about. You may have heard me spiel about it <laughs> in my membership, but but for those listening, um, the more that I really ponder this topic and ponder the repression and ponder the like immense fear that we have around sex, the kind of more I sink my teeth into it, the more I'm fascinated by it. And you know, I can only guess why sex has been so um, collectively shadowed. But my guess is that like as early humans from the very beginning, like there was this real acknowledgement that sex is the creation of life. Like, wow, this must be really, really powerful energy. And simultaneously, like this is all a guess. I was not there tens of thousands (laughs) of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago. But, um, I imagine that before there was all these layers of shame layered on top of sex, like this was the portal to the divine. Like people were just going into these ecstatic states of bliss and feeling like they were one with everything. And we can talk about that topic later, but um, when we are able to peel back these layers of shame, when you get to a peak of pleasure, it is its own very natural super highway to like your ego dissolving Mm -hmm. and that experience of oneness. Um, and it happens naturally, like every time you reach a pleasure peak. (laughs) So this is really powerful stuff that we're working with. And when things are powerful, we either, um, worship them and revere them and learn to work with them in ritual. And we seize that power or we just bury it bury it, bury it, bury it. And in our modern day, there's just so, you know, I can see why it's been buried not to get into the conspiracy theories or anything like that. But like, it's a very important pillar of capitalism for us to be disconnected from our own pleasure and our own bodies and for us to not be able to be the source of our own pleasure. Um, I think that the myth that masturbation is evil or bad or shameful is like one of the greatest control devices in popular culture. 
because mm-hmm. if people feel that it is bad for them to give their own body pleasure, they will have to seek that externally, usually through buying a product mm-hmm. or joining some sort of organization that can give them that pleasure back. So when you cut off the cord of people being their own source, there's a tremendous amount of power that's available to systems. It's scary, but it's exciting because it means that we're at sort of a frontier where, you know, a hundred years ago, how would people have been able to find out about your work, right? Mm-hmm. It would be, you would travel city to city and whoever happened to come out, you might get, you know, a couple dozen folks at a time. And now you can get hundreds of thousands of people across the internet to, you know, see a video or maybe millions at a time. Right. And so it, this fun dance we have called life seems to have this beautiful yin yang of tragedy. And then right on the other side of that is this immense opportunity where things can become very beautiful and, uh, and you get to do the kind of healing work that you're doing, which is obviously very fulfilling. Well, it's obvious to me anyway, having been through some of it. Thank you. Have you ever heard of Esther Perel? Yeah. Yeah. She was the first person who got me into any of this. Mm. I don't want to say she saved my marriage, but she certainly revitalized a a healthy portion of it. Mm -hmm. Um, For anybody who's not familiar, she's got a fantastic uh, podcast that she does. I think it's called Where Shall We Begin? And she's a therapist and she takes random individuals, I say random individuals because they come from all walks of life, but somehow you seem to be able to relate to any of them. And through a very short period of time, identifies what is it that's blocking them from being able to be vulnerable with each other and therefore what's blocking them from being able to be intimate with each other. And also at the same time of doing that, because the intimacy piece means you need to take off your armor because you can't be intimate if you've got this shell around your heart. But then at the exact same time of becoming intimate, also igniting the erotic, which oftentimes it's, it's a delicate balance because if you feel too exposed, you can't, you don't feel in your power. You don't feel in that sort of, you know, risque kind of uh, energy. So anyway, folks have not come across her work. I highly recommend listening to stuff and she's got books as well. Um, Oh, absolutely. That's how I, that's how I originally got exposed to any of this idea of how the erotic can transform your life in more ways than just the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much deep gratitude for her, um, her body of work and it's, it's quite large. Um, what she did was she took this topic that has been often dismissed as dirty and frivolous and superficial and through her like role and background as a therapist, she really legitimized it. She was Mm. like, no, like this is a realm of healing guys. And like, she also gave a space for it to become so normalized to be a person having sex and to be a person who is struggling in the realm of sex. And she brought in so many different people who mirrored that experience. And I can just like, in my own nervous system, she just like has this way of being able to relax you into knowing that you're not alone in Mm -hmm. that pain. 
um, which is one of the most painful myths that all of us are fed, is that if we feel um, numb or disconnected or broken or confused sexually, that that's just an us problem. Right. I just want to make that exponentially clear. Like it is not a personal problem. It is a very collective, very widespread um, pain that we experience globally. Um, so I'm so grateful to her for that. Have you noticed that it's getting worse? I've read a decent amount of research that indicates that each successive generation is having less and not as not only are they coupling later, but they're also having less and less sex period. Mm. And I find that very interesting and also alarming because it says that up until let's call it today, it, it seems that the, the problem has been getting uh, worse and worse over time. Mm. I'd be very interested to dive into that. I haven't explored that myself, but I do have a number of ideas that come up around that. Um, I do think the internet has created a larger space between us interacting in real life. I think that's definitely a facet of it. Um, but I think this is just a guess. I haven't like researched these studies specifically, but I think, um, women's liberation does play a role in that less frequent sex. Um, Say more about that. yeah, I mean, our yeah, I mean, I really like to remind people that um, sex has not really been consensual until like the past generation or two generations. Um, before this like most recent women's liberation movement, before um, birth control being really accessible and before sex being a more mainstream topic, um, women were expected to have sex on demand with their husbands. They were getting married at a very young age, often against their will, and they were expected to have sex on demand. And they were expected to have children on demand, largely. This is not the case for everybody in past generations, but like, um, sex was not as much of a choice. And it's important to acknowledge that. We've come a very far way in a very short time. There's still a long way to go. But um, this is kind of like the first few decades of women being able to say, no, I don't want to have sex with you. Mm. Um, and to really make that like an internal journey within them of making their own choices within that. Um, so I'd like to bring that to the table as a facet of, of what might be happening, but I'm sure there's many layers. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on it? What, what, like when you read that study, what were your thoughts of like maybe why that is? Cause I'm sure there's so many reasons. I do think that that female preference and the ability to exert that preference has a huge, uh, impact. I think that has been true for a long time, but certainly exponentially. So now, meaning that when it comes to procreation, because it's a nine month commitment for a woman and a nine minute commitment for a man. I'm using round numbers, obviously. Um, you don't have to be so preferential in your selection process as a male, right? Just by nature of math. Mm -hmm. So historically, I mean, for hundreds of thousands, millions of years and in nature, you see it as well. Like 
because of the gestation period, there is a much higher selection process for females than for males. However, I think that that has been bastardized in a million different ways because of patriarchal control and yada, 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 all the kind of stuff that's happened. And not to say that there has not been good things that have come out of negative aspects of our culture because nothing is, is one-sided. There's always a bipolarity in everything. Absolutely. But I also think to your point about the internet, I think the availability of pornography has probably done a much greater disservice to culture than a service, which is, again, is not to say that there are not benefits to it or that sex work is bad or dirty or whatever, because I don't think it is. But if you're a male and you are able to satisfy yourself, there's a piece of you energetically that is taken out of mm -hmm. the system where your brain has been confused because it's different than just self-pleasure for the sake of self-pleasure and exploring your Kundalini energy and all this kind of stuff. It's you're tricking your brain into thinking you've coupled yeah. by watching somebody else. And I think that there's a multitude of things that go wrong with that. One is you, you lose this drive to couple, which I think takes people out of the system. Mm. And it takes, there's a certain amount of effort that guys, when they're trying to procreate, it just dials up. It's like, you're, you're kinder, you're more, you know, thoughtful. You, you, you put others before yourself. Like it's just, that's just naturally how it works. Mm -hmm. And it's not a negative thing that that's true. It's part of the design of the grand system. It's not an accident that it happened. I don't think. Also, if you've got, and there's memes about this that show like, um, like the porn hub, like you're on page 178 seeking, you know, the perfect video. And the problem with that is you are now creating in your mind a radical dystopia of what actual, you know, sexual relations are going to be because your mind has now created a connection, a peak, uh, emotional and physical connection to something that doesn't never existed and is highly improbable to replicate mm -hmm. because you know, the likelihood that the average person is going to get in bed with the person who they've idolized as their peak find on the entirety of the internet. And now as you're out and about in the world, what does that do to your perception of other people and your expectations and your standards? It just, I think it creates a, a giant mess in terms, and I'm speaking again, only from the male perspective. I have no idea what the experience is like on the female side. I have to imagine that that's a contributing factor. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that to the table. Thank you for bringing porn in general to the conversation. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I really appreciate your male perspective and your, your vulnerability around the topic. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack within porn. I'm a true non-dualist. So like, I just watched the Pornhub documentary like two nights ago. I would highly recommend it. It's on Netflix to anybody. I haven't it's, seen it. Yeah, it's very powerful. It shows these different sides of what's going on within that uh, system. But I think porn has the capacity to be liberatory, the capacity to be healing. I hold sex work radically sacred. Um, I have the utmost uh, appreciation and, and true devotion to that line of work. Um, and and there is a, a deep shadow side 
to interacting with porn and the way that sex is so buried where it's not a conversation that's out in the forefront. People are going and using this very, very powerful terrain of porn and then not being able to like integrate it and discuss it and reflect upon what they're actually doing. So it becomes this like more and more and more hidden um, experience that they're having. Um, and so I love to work with men to support them around their relationship to porn and finding a more um, integrated relationship to it that's actually serving them. Um, mm. Because there can be this very, very painful cycle of feeling like you don't have control over your own porn use, like it's become compulsive and it's becoming a compulsive activity that then loops around into shame and guilt. And it's this very painful cycle for people to be stuck in. Um, and it's not anybody's fault. Like I hold so much compassion for people of all genders who feel like they're in misaligned relationship to porn because... Most of us were so young when we were exposed to this really, really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have the tools to be able to figure out what we were actually getting ourselves into and like what we're exploring and what we are rewiring our nervous systems towards. Um, so yeah, I'm very passionate about supporting people in that, but it can um, really, really affect your ability to be vulnerable and intimate with real people. Yeah. And just like you're saying, to have a realistic understanding of what it means to be in intimacy with another human being, which is actually very complex mm -hmm. in a way that an interaction through porn is not. Yeah. Because there's no chance of rejection, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, let me take, and this is, if you take it through a weird spiritual lens, I don't know, it's weird. It's, sure people listening to some, some manner of people will find this weird. I don't think there's any way to interact with this world that is anything other than pure surrender and pure love where you're not making some type of a Faustian bargain, some type of deal with the devil. Mm -hmm. so with porn, you are extracting all of the good, right? I get to feel all of the pleasure, all of the, the whatever, with none of the, the courage required to create that coupling with somebody, to put myself out there, to feel the vulnerability. And I think it's that, it's that missing piece of that yin-yang, that, that shadow that comes and adds up behind you and takes you down into the muck yeah. because you haven't done the complete work. You've done this imprecise alchemy, right? You missed an ingredient mm -hmm. and by doing that, you're actually creating a poison you don't see. Very, very well expressed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's different games. I see it as different games. So on the one hand, you can have this relationship with porn where you're getting these very, very high highs, but you're also feeling these low lows of like self-disgust, self-shame, self-disconnection. And if you want to play a different game of like being in intimacy with another person, you will get different highs and different lows, but there will be lows. Um, mm -hmm. 
to face and to integrate. There is challenge in being in intimacy with, with real people. Um, and so you have to make that choice. That's the dance. Yeah. I think that a lot of people don't realize how um, addicting porn can be for folks. I had a friend once who literally called out of work because it he was just on like a run that he couldn't stop. Yeah. And I think it's one of those situations where your dopamine cycle gets so fucked up that the it's almost like being on cocaine. Like the crash down is so bad. You can't, you can't be in that lull. You have to go chase the next high. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, it's one of the things that, you know, I think people, everyone knows you can get addicted to heroin. Find me someone in America who doesn't know you can get addicted to heroin and I'll show you the rock they're living under. But things like this, because they're so taboo, right? How many people are talking about this? Very few. Um, I think people find themselves in a weird situation where they're trapped and they can't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. Right. Because who, first of all, who is going to believe them? Who's going to take them seriously? And then the monstrous shame package that comes with it, that like, you can't stop masturbating to videos. Like that's, that's your problem yeah. when it might be literally the biggest struggle of their life. Absolutely. Right? And really what it is, is it's an outlet for the entirety of the struggles of their life all of the ways in which they feel insufficient and unlovable and all these things end up getting channeled into this outlet. And that's something interesting that I think not a lot of folks appreciate about addiction is it's not about the gambling or the drugs or the one night stands or whatever. It's about the incompleteness of the being on the, on the other side of that and the constant seeking for fulfillment. Yeah. Thank you so much for speaking that. It can in some ways, and I do not want to in any way, like undermine the, the immense stigma around drug addiction, but it can be in some ways more scary to admit that you have an addiction to porn than it is to admit that you have an addiction to a drug because we have more understanding collectively and culturally that drugs are addictive. Right. And porn is just this thing that like, very young children and teenagers are being exposed to. And like, it's, it's normalized in a lot of ways. It's not normalized in a lot of ways. It's just a wacky thing. Um, but it can be so painful to even come to terms with that within self, um, let alone to admit it out loud and then to get support for it. Um, I would just love to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about like, how I go about supporting people in their shame, whether it's around porn or around any other facet, because I think this might be really helpful information for people, no matter where they're at and what they're experiencing. Um, the way that I work with people when they're navigating real shame around something is to really hold like a space of so much compassion and deep acceptance for them and to teach them that this behavior, this part of them, is actually not evil or bad at all. It's trying to save you and it's trying to protect you. So as you so beautifully mapped out, like for many, many people, 
porn or porn addiction is a way of, um, it looks different for different people, but it's generally a way to escape the pain of being alive. You get to go into this fantasy, you get to have this experience of escape, you get to get this very big high and you can get it anytime you want. Um, and so where I start with people is like, let's hold some honor for this incredibly valuable survival mechanism that you've created. Bingo. You found this way to escape the pain of reality, even for just a little while. That's incredible. Okay. And that's the game that we're all playing. We're all trying to find all these different ways to escape the pain of being alive because being alive is crazy. So whatever way you figure out to get out, let's have some honor for that. And that's where we start. And from there, you can start to dialogue with this part. And I do it through like leading people through somatic processes, but you can begin to dialogue with this part of you that keeps coming back to porn or keeps coming back to whatever. And you can speak to it and be like, what are you trying to give me? Like, what are you trying to save me from? What are you trying to protect me from? What other experience of pain are you allowing me to not feel? whether it's vulnerability or intimacy or sadness. And just like thanking that part. Thank you so much for doing all of this really hard work for me. But I need to find another part to do this role now. So I need to find a new way to avoid whatever I've been avoiding or protect myself from whatever I've been protecting myself from. And it's pretty magical. And this is like really where alchemy comes in. Even just having that acknowledgement and that gratitude and having that conversation of thanking that part, you'll find that you'll wake up the next day and your relationship will be very, very different to that thing. Mm. It's like, there's this hungry part inside all of us that just wants to be seen and understood and valued for how hard that it's working. And then once you do that, it releases its grip. It's really kind of mind blowing. I've seen it happen over and over again within myself and in my clients, but it is absolutely possible to find a different way. It's always possible. Um, but the path towards it is not to shame or bury or punish. It's actually to love that part of you. It's some wild, <laughs> some wild stuff. It's, it's really, really beautiful. beautiful. And it's, it's amazing that you have integrated that into this practice because it tells me that you have a very mature practice, meaning that you understand a lot of the elements of healing, not just the, because there's people who could focus just on pleasure and erotic and, you know, reaching better zeniths and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there's plenty of value to that, but the real work is in taking that inner child who created these immense and innumerable protection mechanisms to keep them safe in an environment where you pop out of the womb and you're an empty hard drive. You don't know anything. And all of a sudden you're assaulted with these sights and sounds 
And basically, life is nothing but trauma until you reach adolescence. And then by the time you reach adolescence, your cup is so runneth over, you spend all of your time trying not to drown. And it's only when you start to to do this work, not necessarily this work specifically, because there's lots of ways to heal, but this type of work where you you turn around to that inner child and say, to your point, thank you. Thank you for all of the unbelievably backbreaking work you did to hold up this scaffolding of this ego surrounding this life because it is backbreaking work and only by first of all, acknowledging that that happened and not just thanking, but forgiving, right? It's like this, this package of appreciation, acknowledgement and appreciation where you do the best you can until you know better and then you do better, but you can't self-flagellate for all the things you did up until this moment, because you were just trying to live. And if you can forgive yourself, then you can take that next step. And until you do, you're just a clenched fist and you're not getting anywhere with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a deep, deep teaching that I'm still like really learning to integrate within myself. Like you punishing yourself it's actually not productive towards your healing. I know that we've been taught to do that over and over and over again, and it's hard to break yeah, the cycle. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually only like tightening the grip of whatever that behavior is. Um, and it's, I just couldn't believe it when I learned how effective having compassion for yourself was. I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe this works. This is wild. It's almost like the way that healing happens within humans, it's so connected to these deeper wisdom teachings. Um, And I just want to like speak to a larger audience because I can feel like all the different types of people who might be listening right now. Um, We use the example of porn addiction, but like any behavior within intimacy that you've been punishing yourself with, you can use this system for. Um, You can work with a practitioner around it, or you can just do it now as you're listening to the podcast, like no matter what it is, whether it's the part of you that is numb sexually, or the part of you that feels like it doesn't have any interest in having sex, or the part of you that feels um, just like sexually lost. Um, There's so many different examples of this whether you feel lots of interest in sex or very little interest in sex, like we have been taught to just punish, 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 punish ourselves for all of these things. And like, you can spread this out to a wider lens of like all of these um, behaviors that we identify ourselves with, like procrastination and like uh, being bitchy, being lazy, all this stuff, like whatever it is that you're punishing yourself for, I'm just telling you now, you don't have to believe me, but you whipping your back for those things is only making the behavior grip you deeper. And like, this is your time to learn how to take a deep breath and to like radically have compassion for that part of you and to practice thanking it for keeping you alive 
it feels kind of crazy to do so. It's a, it's a big unwinding of what we've been conditioned to do, but you will see huge transformation within yourself when you can learn how to do that. Can I give you a radical theory as to how I think that came about? Sure. So there's a, a very interesting documentary on HBO called Exterminate All the Brutes. And it basically follows post-Constantine Christianity going around the world and effectively executing all cultures that had any connection to the divine mm. and turned them into areas of productivity, meaning like you create goods, right? And I look at our modern day and we look at this, you know, patriarchal thing that has been lashed against, especially in recent years. And it feels like the culmination of what happens when you sever the feminine side of life, the, the beauty and the love and the generation, the generativity, the creativity, mm -hmm. the forgiveness, because masculinity is the hand of judgment and the focus and the severity and right. Like it's all these things. And we've gotten so good at that. We've gotten really good at it. <laughs> and it's not that you don't need it. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson, I'm not. but he's, um, he's an intellectual from Canada and he wrote a book, um, called 12 rules for life. And it basically goes through and gives the masculine side of like how to get your shit together as a person, because some people have a failing of that. They can't, you know, show up on time to anything. They can't write like there are people, despite the fact that culturally we are in a crisis of masculinity in a lot of ways, there are still people who, who don't know how to weaponize that in a divine way. But I think what gets lost in this whole battle is there's a lash that, oh, every, if, if you're masculine, you are toxic. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, no. Yin yang. Mm -hmm. It's all about balance. This is, this is the, the two spirit nature of everything. If you try and suppress all the masculinity or all the femininity, you're going to have a crisis of some kind because you need, if all you have is femininity, you've got nothing but generative chaos. If you ever look at, you know, like AI generation with no constraints, you can't even tell what you're looking at. It's just, it, it's, it, it's inconceivable. Yeah. And if all you have is order, then you've got nothing beautiful. All, everything is sterile and, and never changes. Mm -hmm. And so you need those two things to combat each other. Um, so I think this notion of self-flagellation has come about because through our culture, we got so hyper-masculinized by having men in power and therefore their agenda and their control mechanisms. And then we went around and burned all the witches, right? Anybody who had any kind of sacred connection to the divine who could do anything alchemical whatsoever. And now all of a sudden you fast forward however many hundreds of years and we wonder why we can't stop beating the shit out of ourselves because we aren't productive enough or we're not perfect enough or, or whatever. So anyway, that's my sideways theory. I really, really appreciate that. And, um, thank you so much for speaking about this balance between masculine and feminine. This is such an ongoing exploration and learning process for me as well. 
because I spent so many years like in my mind, in that masculine mode, thinking I needed to be productive, 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 good. And then I went into the realm of sacred sexuality and it was like this huge burst of femininity and like pleasure practices and learning how to like rest deeply and all these things. And it's only like this past year that I'm starting to be like, oh, you gotta like bring them together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally awakening to like what it really means to integrate. And it's complex. It's an ongoing thing for me to figure out. But there's so many beautiful myths across different cultures that can teach us that um, the feminine and the masculine are lovers. This uh, unbound creativity and rest and pleasure and luxury and this um, hardworking disciplinarian structure they're in love with each other and like they are at their best when they are intertwined with one another. And again and again, I come back to like, which one do I need a little bit more of now? Um, I love to work with like the idea of Venus and Mars um, who were lovers and uh, you know, Venus being this idea of like the goddess of love and harmony and eros and all these things and she's just like lounging on this cushion and being fed grapes and like daydreaming and all this stuff um but she's turned on by mars because mars gives her a structure in order to bring her creativity into physical form mm -hmm. and this is something that i am working with actively as like somebody who has a business based on pleasure. <laughs> like <laughs> I got to bring them together for sure. It's yeah. a fun game. And it's what's fascinating to me is the percentage of people who don't appear to understand that the game is afoot. Mm -hmm. Like how many, what is the percentage of people around New York City who are just dead asleep to anything spiritual at all. And the idea that feminine and masculine energy are real, like that they would just be laughed out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. Most. Most. I think that's right. The vast I do think. majority. I was one of them. <laughs> same. Same. Like I said, three years ago, if you had brought me anything even remotely in this realm, I would have been... Well, if I knew you really well, I would have laughed you out of the room. If I didn't, I would have politely nodded my head until you were gone. <laughs> but once you, once you're introduced to it and you feel it in an embodied way, you can't put anything back in Pandora's box. It's out. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you're out, you, it's like this never ending sea of curiosities of things to explore and understand. And for me, I felt, I don't want to say robbed, but like what have I been doing for 37 years? It's like I've been in a marathon sprint in the wrong direction. And now I've got to stop and turn around and I have to go back the whole way and pick up all the pieces of destruction and, and integrate those as I go. It's scary, but what else is there to do? Yeah. To stay asleep. It's like the matrix. The matrix is such a beautiful movie. If, uh, have you seen it? Yeah, I have. I love it's it. Like, it's like, it's just such a perfect parable for this because, yeah, it's like once you take that pill, you can't go back asleep. You can't. You just know. You can't. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. 
Yeah. But it's worth it. I couldn't agree more. And uh, it can be very frustrating as the human when you wake up and you're like, oh, God, I spent so many decades <laughs> completely blind to this whole facet of reality, which is so liberatory and life affirming and healing. Um, I just didn't see it. I didn't know it existed. It can be very, very frustrating, but, and we can feel a lot of shame for that too. Like, oh, why didn't I realize it sooner? Um, but I like to remind myself that like, this is a huge game of like the ultimate trickster God, like mm -hmm. God loves <laughs> watching us be blind and then see uh it's very entertaining for who's ever doing this completely agreed and uh the separation serves the union uh, so the forgetting serves the remembering so like the sweet nectar and euphoria and profound healing that comes with remembering or realizing the spiritual um, it's only that profound because we spent so long forgetting it. And so I like to remind myself that they, they're connected to one another and, uh, it's not my fault that like, I didn't see it. It's, it's part of the design. It's part mm -hmm. of the game. I I've heard people say it so many different ways, but I love, I love the way Layla Martin said it. She said, the goddess loves to play hide and seek. She yes. loves to hide herself and then peek out behind her hand and show little glimpses of herself to you and then she'll hide again we're like wait did i see that was that real um and so I believe we, yeah i i reflect often on what i call the cosmic jokes <laughs> yeah. like my wife and i have uh opposite love languages mm. i don't think it's an accident that we're together because we end up in these cycles where um you know, there will be a, a, a energetic separation. And then the exact thing that I need to collapse that separation is the exact thing that she can't do because of her traumas and triggers. And it's mm -hmm. like this, this beautiful, like whirlwind of, it's almost like opposite magnetic poles. And the only thing required to collapse it is the courage to face the fear on either side. Either mm. one of us can do it at any time. And it's through that just like constant recognition and, um, and courage that allows the work to continue and it gets get better and easier over time. But I, I would years ago be infuriated by that. Be like, how could I be so damned and trapped and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, no, no. It's the opposite. This is, this is the cosmic dance. What faster way to get all of your trauma out? Because why am I feeling these things? It's not real. It's all in my head. She's not a monster, nor am I. And, and all of that tension is because of old things that are deep within that need to be extricated. And so we are a gift to each other by giving it just like a, a roadmap of like, okay, so you want to have this intimacy. Here are the things that need to be healed. So get after it. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Yeah.
it's when you can really open yourself up to the truth of that, that there was this strange, mysterious, larger design to like the way that we're magnetized towards people because they're like the exact key to unlock something within us really flips my lid. I've experienced the same thing with my partner and it's, it's just infinitely uh, revealing. Like, wow, we're just going to keep going deeper and deeper into this and uh, being the exact challenge that each other needs. And uh, do you have children? No. You might tell that I do. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not just showing up my, my great skills. Um, I love your background. Really, really cool. Interesting choice for this uh, particular podcast, but that's okay. It's been the same one for all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and kids need to learn about sexuality eventually as well. Absolutely. Um, I bring up children because they, they add this new element of dragging you through all your own triggers, all your own traumas, all the sounds, the crying, the neediness, the impulse to reject because to preserve yourself when you're, you know, at your wits end, it's just unbelievable. The, it's almost like it's built in. It's like a cleansing mechanism. If you see it as that and use it as that, I think what has happened for millennia is it's been a um, perpetual recycling system or even worse than that. Like it, it has increased the trauma generation to generation. Mm. Don't look at it as, okay, I'm feeling this. This has nothing to do with this innocent, beautiful, divine creature. This is, I've been stimulated in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. I need to deal with that and not create something new for them. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, again, it's like the roadmaps to healing are all around us all the time. If we'll just open our eyes and accept them. Um, but it's through the most intimate relationships, the relationship with partner, relationship with your kids, relationship with yourself, that you can find these things um, and use them as guideposts. Yeah, yeah. Children are really those next level teachers, man. And they do not hold back. <laughs> I'll tell you whatever you need to hear. <laughs> Yeah, I do not have my own children, but um, my spiritual path began because as I was weaving in and out of like studying all these different things and mapping out these different careers and going in and out of them, I was working as a baby nanny for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So I was being a secondary caregiver for other people's babies. And uh, it was rough. <laughs> really rough because it wasn't only the challenge of being a parent it had this different layer of it of you're not my mom and so there was a lot of rage and fear and grief that was moving through these children as i was you know doing my best to love them um, and i imagine that doesn't come off as anything other than rejection whether or not you cognitively feel, see that Ooh, i have to imagine a lot of rejection a lot of rejection and it really came to the point of, um, I was like, oh, I have to learn some skills now, or like, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. This is really painful. 
um, having these babies screaming and crying. And it was bringing up waves and waves of my own repressed childhood stuff that I had not been aware of mm -hmm. my own family line stuff. Um, and I was taking all of it personally, all of it as a personal rejection. And that was when I started seeking these tools of, um, of meditation, of reading about getting outside of your ego. And it completely changed the experience of working with these beautiful children. I, and, and really what it comes down to what you said earlier, it's this shift of this is awful. This is bad to, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to step into greater growth. Um, because I was just like, I hate this job. This is so hard. This is so miserable. There's these kids screaming and throwing things and woe is me. And then when I learned those tools, it was like, oh. How did you come to that epiphany? Um, it, it was multifaceted because as I said, it was like I was diving into yoga, breathwork, meditation. Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth was a big game changer for me really rapid awakening into the fact that none of this was personal and that I could actually have a choice in the way I perceived um, other people and their experience with me. And I could choose to not take things as a rejection. I could choose to see them differently. That saved my life in many ways. Mm. So let's... Um in the in the back nine of this conversation let's go back to some of your your present day work what are you working on and why are you excited about it mm. i'm in the process of still working with a few one-on-one -on -one clients and there's work that is really deep to my heart doing that one-on-one -on -one work um because there's so much learning that happens both ways when i'm in that one-on-one -on -one space um, and then I've also just very recently opened up this new platform for membership where I'm having a very large group of people work with me through this membership that you are part of. And, um, this is a new journey for me of, uh, what does it, I I've done group facilitation in the past, but this is a different type of it. Um, so I've created a platform called Coven where you can learn the art of sex magic. And then it's also a safe and supportive space to practice sex magic collectively, virtually with people from all around the world. And inside of that, I also um, offer monthly pleasure expansion workshops. So this is really a place where I'm, I'm offering like my full heart and soul. And it's a space where I can really go to, um, condense and crystallize so many of the teachings that have been passed down to me and do my best to put them into words in a way that's understandable and accept, uh, accessible. And uh, it's been so, so beautiful because the community aspect of it, like my deepest wish um, is that people support each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my own way of supporting people, but when you're in a journey of sexual liberation and sexual reclamation and 
pleasure expansion and you're navigating your own shadow around sex, it's so helpful to be in that process with other people who can relate to it and who are at different angles of it, but who can support you in that process. And it's been so beautiful to see how open-hearted and vulnerable people have been on the platform so far, even though it's so new. Um, I, I thank whatever forces are supporting me that like the people who are joining this community feel really, really aligned with this deeper mission of healing. Um, I agree. Yeah. I'm very impressed with the balance of openness and vulnerability with the safety aspect. I think it was very clever to have the ability for people to be able to interact publicly, but not privately because that, you know, keeps it so that people can't do off color things and make others feel uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, but it does promote quite a bit of open dialogue, which I've been very impressed with, like the number of people who have contributed in non-trivial ways in terms of, you know, how they're thinking and feeling. It's actually pretty astounding to me because sharing vulnerably about sex and pleasure is no small feat. And I mm -hmm. see people doing it every day. And I just bow down to each and every person who has done that, even if it's just a sentence or two of like speaking out loud your truth and your experience. It's a really big deal. I agree. So one thing that you have said out loud that for folks who are not too deep into this stuff might be like, what is magic? Mm -hmm. So unpack what that means, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Magic. Whew. What a bold and bountiful topic. It, it just feels very audacious to even be speaking about it out loud because, you know, right off the bat, we're told that magic isn't real. Um, and it takes and yet a, everything around us is effective. <laughs> we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's one way to speak the name of magic and to define it is Magic to me is this acknowledgement and largely like this slow and gradual awakening process that this reality is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous. And we've been very, uh, many of us have been very jaded and numbed to this reality. And we think that it's just normal and there's a certain way things work. Um, but if you really just take like a few moments to break it down, this existence, the way that we function in these bodies, the way that we're able to breathe in air and work with elements and gather food and be nourished by sunlight and the way that the different cells and veins and blood and bone and <laughs> hormones of our body work together. This is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, wow, what a show, right? Nothing about this is normal. Nothing about this makes that much sense. Um, we are inside of a dumbfounding miracle that we have become numbed to largely, and that's totally okay. Um, but if you want to, you can gradually awaken again to just how strange and miraculous this reality is. And magic is a vehicle for doing that. 
and slowly working through all these different lineages. There's many different ways to practice magic, but it's basically just the concept that like you're in relationship with reality, whether you like it or not. You're not just some ball of cells that got dropped down here to suffer. Like you're part of the whole thing. And if you want to, you can intentionally work with that and be in co-creation with your reality. And you can do that as a vehicle for making certain things happen or transforming your reality in a very tangible way. And you can also do that as an epic hero's journey of being like, what can I learn through being in relationship with life more intimately? So that's what magic means to me. And I like to teach about sex magic. Um, so sex magic is a way in which you can become more intimate with self and become more intimate with life largely through your sexual energy. So I like to explain it as like, you can absolutely work with the divine through sex magic and you can have that orientation towards it, but you can also use it as a psychological tool to be able to become more familiar and close with your own desires, your own fears, your own conscious and unconscious stuff. Sex magic is a really effective place to do that. And uh, I believe psychology and magic are very interrelated. Uh, you ever get into any quantum physics at all? Not so much. I would love to hear about it, about your take. So <clears throat> I was really into physics in high school and I got into quantum physics a little bit. And then I've always been sort of tangentially like anytime somebody brings something up or there's some major discovery, I, you know, dive into it a little bit. And there's something very interesting that happens when you start to zoom all the way in on our particles. You know, you look at your hand and you see like, oh, there's a solid object there. But if you zoom in, inside of those cells are atoms. Inside of those atoms are these subatomic particles. And what you think of as a solid object is 99.9999999% empty space. If my fist was the nucleus of an atom, the closest electron would be miles away. So it, it immediately starts to like tear apart your maps of reality of what reality even means. Absolutely. And as you go down closer and closer and closer into even smaller and smaller particles, quarks, bosons, leptons, what have you, you eventually get down to the fact that there's really nothing there but a vibration, a wave. And one of the concepts, um, if you zoom out even from that a little bit, of subatomic particles is the notion of an electron cloud, which means that electrons aren't like little planets that are spinning around a sun. There's probabilities of where they are. They don't actually exist anywhere until you observe them with human mm. attention. You lock in attention, and then it snaps into place where it is. And there's this thing that folks can Google called the double split, double slit experiment that shows that when you fire photons or electrons um, down a, a channel through two slits, if someone's watching them, the way it will come through those slits and show up on the back of it is exactly those lines. It will go through and hit exactly as you would expect. If you do the same experiment and no one watches, 
it goes through an interference pattern as if they were waves. And so behind those two slits, you end up with all sorts of different places that they aggregate in ways that it's like, how in the world would that ever be possible if they were being shot straight ahead? And why would there be any difference? The takeaway that I bring from that is human attention is the most powerful force in the universe. And through your attention, you literally lock into place new possibilities in reality, this thing that we call reality. And so at a quantum level, literally all the smallest particles, wherever you're pointing your attention with your intention, you are able to quote unquote manifest new things into this world. And once I started thinking about that, it made it a lot easier to dive headfirst into what people might think of as the woo woo stuff, right? The, the, the tip of the spear is yoga and you can get so much farther into it, but I believe in virtually all of it. You know, the idea of chakras and the idea of Kundalini energy and all these things, it's like, well, okay. So if, chakras are real and kundalini energy is real it, it seems to be that the most powerful way that you could manifest is using the highest amount of your energy through your intention so ergo this this notion of sexual alchemy makes a ton of sense to me yeah yeah Ooh, i really really appreciate you voicing that and i'm definitely gonna look that up did you say double slit experiment yeah and i'll link to it in the show notes for folks so that they can yeah. find that yeah, there's lots of there's both lots of you know published research about it and there's actually a lot of TikToks of people starting to draw similar types of conclusions where it's like what does this mean exactly because the idea that you don't watch it it acts like a particle you don't watch it it acts like a wave i mean that is it should be mind-bending to people the implication of that it completely is and when your mind is bended or when there is a way that we don't really know how to explain anything, you can either ignore it or poo-poo it or dismiss it, or you can like really bask in the glorious mystery of it. And that's what I really enjoy doing. Um, and I'm just infinitely delighted about the ways in which science is in such close relationship with spirituality and with mysticism and with the unknown. And we can pretend like they're opposites, but they're, they're like two hands holding each other and they're playing with each other and they're having so much fun. And I think some of the most brilliant scientists will, will really back me up on that is like, science is a pathway to awe and wonder. Uh, I think we lost it a lot in the last hundred years or so, but if you go back and read some of, you know, Nikola Tesla's notes, Albert Einstein's, right, Planck, like basically up until the last hundred years or so, there's a lot of God talk and mystical talk in terms of, they're just, to your point, in awe of what is all of this and trying to connect the things, whereas... I feel like a lot of science today is almost on a mission to prove there is no God. It's almost like it's working in the opposite direction. And I think that that's adding to more of the sterility of our culture and, you know, 
Jordan Peterson talks about it as like the Tower of Babel, where after the great flood, you know, this is obviously a, I don't know if it's a myth, but it's part of the corpus of religion that, you know, we built this, this tower such that we could escape, uh, you know, the hand of God, basically, and that we would put ourselves in control. And, you know, in doing that, you end up creating the collapse of the tower because there is no way to escape. It's like your right hand trying to escape your body. Like, good luck. I have great news. If you do manage to pull that off, you're no longer part of anything and you're a dead hand, right? It's, um, it's a really fascinating dance we go through as humans where our egos demand significance and to be seen. And at the same time, terrified of the implications of, of what happens when you actually find out what's there. Yeah, I know. I really went through my own. Um, you know, I was very, I was scared as hell to go down the spiritual path. <laughs> it, it can be like swimming upstream in many ways, depending on how you were raised. Um, because it's definitely dismissed as silly as like ridiculous as like you're out of touch with reality. Um, there is a deep humility in admitting that there is a spiritual realm, uh, that there is something that we cannot see with our own eyes. Um, but we need it. I don't want to tell people what they need, but I know I needed it. I think we as a culture need it. We need, we need, it's not even as a culture, as human beings, if you lose your sense of wonder, everything becomes like mathematical and, and sterile and terrifying. It's, it's that sense of connection to awe and beauty and wonder that, that balance it out. It's back to that yin yang concept, like without it you're in a, a crisis of why, you know, like it would be very easy to fall down a nihilistic pit of who gives a shit about anything. Yeah. But then when you can come back to just, you know, as I've been on this journey the last few years, like I'll just sit and just watch a group of bees just, you know, jumping around flowers and I'll just watch them for like a half hour and just, astonished by every bit of it like a seed went into the ground and through no act of any human created all of this stuff and now all of this other stuff is carrying on all these other processes never mind how beautiful it looks aesthetically just the impossibility of all of it and the perfect you know nature of how it formed and if you try and force a flower open early you destroy it right it has to completely open on its own accord it just you could just sit there and just think and, and be just inspired for, for hours. And that's the kind of thing that I feel like we have sterilized out of our children. Um, not just our children, cause we're doing our best specifically at our house, not to do that. But like, certainly since the industrial revolution, where it's like, you need to become a piece of production. So we're going to sit you down and we're going to like extract all the creativity and wonderment out of you yeah. such that you can become more of that masculine production machine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Even if the woo woo or the spiritual feels 
too challenging. I would say like, it's awe, it's awe and wonder that saved my life. Um, and you can find that in so many different ways. And that's why there's so many infinite paths, right? But like, whether you want to find it through like an activity that you're really passionate about through psychology, through music, you can find it through science. Like you can find it through going out into nature and staring at nature. However you need to get it, get it and make it an intentional practice because what else is there to do truly? I, there is so much grit and challenge in being alive. And what I've found is that the more and the more I can give myself that space to be in wonder, to be in the unknown, to be just like, I don't even understand how this works. That kind of space. It's given me my life back. Yeah, I'm just very, very grateful for the whole thing. That's a beautiful thing. So if you were to meet someone who was not in a position to become a client, but looking to dip their toe in this journey. Let's say that they can tell that they've got repressed sexual issues, or they just, you know, are looking to find ways of accessing new heights of pleasure, whatever, whatever their place may be. How would you recommend they go about exploring that? Mm-hmm. So many brilliant paths. Um, I can share some resources. I can share some of my teachers. I can also join my membership. It's only $12 a month. You can try it out free for 30 days. And I, I share so much about pleasure reclamation and pleasure liberation inside of that um, and give a lot of different practices, guided meditations, things you can do, resources to... Um, find that journey back to intimacy with self. I also give a lot of tools for like working with your conscious and unconscious self within that platform. Um, so there's a lot there. I would love to give some books as well. Um, for people who like books, um, come as you are is a brilliant text for understanding sexuality and for, um, for anybody who's feeling broken, numb, disconnected, anything along those lines, that's a brilliant book. Um, also can, a clever double entendre. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> Love a double entendre. Um, yeah, I can even send you some more resources later for a couple of books that we can put in the show notes. That can be a really nice way in. I can recommend some other podcasts as well. There's a lot of brilliant people doing this work. Um, and my podcast will come out next week. So oh, it, awesome! yes, it's called the sexual alchemist. So you can hear me talk about all these topics in more depth. And I will also be interviewing. I've been spending a lot of time this past month having some really juicy conversations. I'm interviewing all different sex witches from around the world Very um, cool. who are also sex coaches, sexual healers, sexual body workers. Uh, so that's a great space to learn about this world as well. Awesome. Well, Amber, it has been an absolute treasure to speak to you. Thank you for giving me your time. And uh, congratulations on everything in terms of escaping the throes of stress and anxiety and finding your way to the path and now being able to give back to others so that they can find their own path 
I think that's a really beautiful way to spend a life. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This conversation was truly fantastic. <laughs> it was really cool to go back and forth with you. Looking forward to following you on your journey and uh, seeing uh, what comes of the coven. I think that's going to be a very interesting experiment. Yeah. Certainly going very positively so far. And uh, I highly recommend everybody check out all of Amber's work. And I'll, I'll link to all that I can in the notes. And until next time. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.